Hey, this is Todd Mullen, senior pastor here at Christ Fellowship Church in South Florida. Whether you're across the street or across the world, thanks for taking time out of your week to join us for this message. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you to get more out of life. Hey, you know, these last couple of weeks, we have been in this series called Mind Games. And it's all about winning the battle over depression and fear and anxiety and toxic thinking. And we knew that this would be a very important, critical conversation. But we have been completely overwhelmed by the messages that we've been getting from you. You know, Rachel texted me this week and she said, thank you, I no longer feel alone. And we've had so many students tell their leaders that for the first time in a long time that I have hope. And church, we've gotten so many messages like this. We want you to know that Todd and I have been praying for you and we have been declaring this scripture over you. In the book of John, it says this, that I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. I want you to know that you have a good God who is for you. He is for your friend that's in a dark place, that family member that, that, is, that is in that hard spot. He is for them. And he wants to shine the light of his hope into your heart today. And you know, as we started launching into this um, series, Mind Games, as soon as we gave it a name, my mind actually went back to a, a time and a place where I was completely convinced that Todd and a group of our friends were playing a game with my mind, right? They were messing with me because we were on vacation all together and, um, and we were walking down this street and there were lots of galleries and shops and we saw these pictures and so many of these different shops, pictures we had never seen before and they looked like this. Do you guys remember this back in the 90s? These are called the magic eye pictures. And, and Todd, we decided we're gonna stop. What are, what are these pictures all about? And we stopped and, and Todd starts looking at this picture and he's like, wow, that is amazing. And then one by one, everyone that was standing around there, they're looking at this picture and I go, oh my gosh, that is so cool. And I'm going, you guys are lying because I was looking at the same thing. I am seeing nothing. And so I'm like a little bit competitive. So I am just going, so I was, I'm, I'm just going, I'm not moving until I see this. But nothing was happening. And finally, there was a 16-year-old kid who was kind of a surfer dude kind of guy. And, um, and I, I was sure that since he worked there, he probably wouldn't be lying to me. He's like, no, this is the real deal. He's like, dude, you can see something. And I'm like, please mentor me in the ways of the magic eye. So this guy became my mentor and he said, what you need to do is you need to stand, stand still. And then instead of looking at the picture, you need to look through the picture. So I began to look through the picture. I started to get a little wobbly after a few minutes. I was getting a little bit lightheaded. But finally, I saw the light, right? And the 3D picture came through and I had this moment of clarity, but as soon as it came, it went and I never saw it again, but I had my moment, right? It was a mind game. The magic eye is a mind game. And you know, when it comes to, to dealing with our problems of depression and anxiety and fear, we can become so focused on the problem in front of us we can become overwhelmed by this jumbled mess and things just don't seem to make sense. But what I want you to hear today is that there's actually a better way. See, when we stop focusing on the problem 
And we begin to look through the problem, through the lens of a good God who created us, mind, body, and spirit. And he wants to, he wants to make sense of this mess. He not only sees the bigger picture, but he wants us to experience the bigger picture. And so what I want you to hear today is that sometimes when we're navigating through the jumbled mess, we might need a, a magic eye mentor. It might be a friend who, who's gonna help us see things from a different perspective or a pastor or a counselor. And this week, you know, we sat down with one of our mentors. And this is, this is a, a mentor that has influenced our teaching, has influenced our life in profound ways. His name is Dr. Henry Cloud. He's a, he's a mental health, um, a doctor in mental health counseling, and he has actually helped millions to get free from emotional and mental bondage. And he's given his life's work to this. And, and this week, Todd sat down um, with him for a conversation, and we didn't want you to miss out on this conversation. So we're gonna listen in on the conversation and then I'm gonna come back and teach the word. So let's watch this together. Dr. Cloud, thank you so much for being with us today and helping us and our church better understand this topic of mental health and how we can be mentally healthy and strong. It's so good to have you with us. For a lot of people, it may be the first time that they are even talking about this topic of mental health. Can you help us get more comfortable with it? Well, I hope so, because we need to get comfortable with it. Todd, first of all, I gotta say thank you for having me. I've been a big fan of y'all's church and what you do down there for a long time. And I'm really glad that you're like, you know, this is what you guys do. You guys get into the real stuff of life and help people. And this topic of mental health, when you, you know, you kind of like, for, for some people they say, gosh, what are we talking about mental health? Never talked about that before. Actually, that's not true. If you're talking about something about how you feel, like big category of mental health diagnostics is mood disorders, you know, depression, anxiety, anxiety disorders, you know, fears, phobias, stress. That's our mental health. Second area is relationships. If you've ever talked about relationships and problems in relationships and dysfunction and personality problems with people in relationships, that falls under mental health. And thirdly, our performance in life, reaching our dreams and goals. All of that is the world of mental health. And all of that is also what the Bible talks about from start to finish. So we all talk about it. Let's just make it normal. That's a great, healthy perspective on this topic of mental health. Let me ask you this question. Sometimes we find ourselves in a, a place of despair because of maybe we've lost confidence, we've made a mistake, it's set us back. Mm -hmm. Could be a situation that is even outside of our control that's happened to us and we don't know how to get unstuck. We don't know how to get out of what we've gotten into. I've heard you talk before about the three Ps that build mm -hmm. a pathway out of that dark place. Can you unpack that for us today? The three Ps are, it's kind of a formula that, that um, what are called cognitive psychologists discovered many, many years ago. And it's basically our, our, the software in our brain begins to change when things outside of our control begin to affect our well-being. You know, the pandemic is one of those. Right? Things outside of our control affect our, our, our well-being. It can be a number of things. Your company could have shut down. You know, somebody could get ill. A, a bunch of things. They have documented this so many times, Todd. The way our brain processes events 
begins to shift into these areas we call the three P's. Now, what does that mean? Basically, you send somebody an email, they don't respond. That's just an event. Or you make a sales call and the person doesn't buy. Or you go for an interview and you don't get the job. All of these are normal life events. But if we're in that place of the three P's operating, we interpret them personally, pervasively, and permanently. Those are your three P's. So what does this mean? Somebody doesn't respond to my email. I personalize it. Well, I want. I did something wrong. What did I do wrong? So the first thing is it gets personalized in a negative fashion. Second thing is, well, it's not just that. It's not just that coworker or friend or person, or it's not just that that account or that customer. All of my friends are, you know, everybody's kind of down on me. None of my relationships are good. The whole world, everything is all yeah. bad. It turns all yeah. bad, and we have this feeling of pervasive, the lights have gone out. And then thirdly, we have a terrible thought, and that is permanent. Well, it's not going to be any different next month, or it's not going to be any different, you know, a year from now. And when you put those three Ps, that is a prison, and it's something that all humans are are really vulnerable to. And what happens is our brains shut down. And so when someone's feeling that way, when they are taking it personally and they, it's a pervasive and it, they feel like it's permanent, what is the one thing they should do or one thing they could do to kind of break free from that thinking? The first thing, if you ever find yourself in that, in that scenario, you actively, there is something you can always do. You can reach out to God and you can reach out to another safe, wise person and say, I'm kind of stuck. I'm in a hole. I need some help. Will you help me? See, that's, God always says this. He always breaks it down to, look, no matter what's going on around you, I'm present, I'm available, and I also have put people around you that have me living in them through my spirit and my wisdom and my power and all of this. And so that's the first thing we do. Now, Todd, that actually changes the brain chemistry. That little connection right there, cortisol goes down, stress hormones go down, and and your brain literally starts to work again when it gets plugged into a relationship. That's the first thing. The second thing is, all of this is crap. Now, that's a biblical word. Did you know Paul said that? (laughs) He said, I count it all dung, right? Well, these thoughts, these thoughts are just thoughts. And what people have to realize is, is feel doesn't equal real. Never. Wow. See, these are... That's good. We can chronicle this stuff. I mean, how can any of this stuff be real if everybody has it that comes out of a certain biochemical state? These are thoughts that you're generating just like an itch, but they're not really thinking. There's a difference in, 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 in thoughts that go through your head and thinking. See, what we've got to do is not attach to these because they're not real, We've got to start, as God says, think about our thinking. Psalm 139 says, God, try my anxious thoughts, look at them, observe them, and see if there's any hurtful way in me. See, when you start thinking this way, one of the things we do is we have people log them, and this is documented by tons of research, and you say, here's what I'm thinking, okay, and here's the truth. The first one is, you know, I'm a loser. I'm always, well, that's not true. Ephesians 2 says that you're God's worksmanship created 
for good works. In other words, you've been designed to win. We just got to get to the to the program. You're not a piece of junk, and there's all sorts of things we combat that with. Secondly, pervasive? No, it's not. Make a list. Really? All of your friends have turned on you? No, maybe a couple, but let's make the list of the ones that haven't. Let's make a list of the customers that are still there. See, we got to get out of the global subjective part of your brain to the rational part, okay? And then thirdly, the future? Are you kidding me? Let's read the Bible. There is a future and a hope for you. You're in one scene of a movie. And then the third thing is this. I want you to make two lists of things you can control and the things you can't control. I can't control the markets. I can't control the economy. There's a bunch of stuff I can't control, right? In life, always. Write that down and say, God, these are your problems. But over here on my side, because he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you. So he's got a bunch of stuff on his plate. But then we say, what can I do? And I write down all the things that I have control of. I can reach out. I can find a friend. I can go even talk to a counselor. I can make 14 other calls for a job if that one didn't turn out. I can protect myself. I can socially distance. There's a ton of stuff that I can do. But we got to get out of the global. And that's the trick your mind plays on you if you're depressed. As a Christian psychologist, you have a unique perspective on uh, spiritual health and mental health. And if you could speak to this just a minute, how the science and psychology lines up with the Word of God. Well, it's really interesting, Todd. For me, it was a journey. I went into this field as a clinical psychologist with the calling, as I understood it back then, from this is what I was called into, to try to understand how does spiritual growth and faith in the gospel you know, interface with these areas we call mental health. And so when I first started, there were, you know, these pervasive models out there of, you know, if you, if you, you know, if there's something wrong with you, then, then, you know, if you're depressed, there's got to be a sin somewhere. It's sort of like the sin model. If you're hurting, you're failing in your spiritual walk somewhere. That was one way of looking at it. Second one was, well, if you knew God's word better, if you get a bunch of scripture in your head and memorize it all, then, then you wouldn't be feeling this way. The third one was, if you had more faith, right? And the fourth one right. w- would be like, you know, you need deliverance and there's a demon under everything. And while there was truth in all of those, it really felt sh- fell short for me. And I could see how people would take verses and kind of put them here and there and kind of get there. But there were two problems. One is that, you know, I was working in, in, in mental health agencies, and there were people that they were not depressed because of sin. They were depressed because they'd been sinned against. Mm. Number two, I treated people in the ministry that knew God's word better than 99.9% of the population. They were hurting because of brokenness and injury and a bunch of other stuff. Number three, sometimes it wasn't because they didn't have enough faith. They had a lot of faith. Number four, they didn't have any, any, any kind of demonic darkness anywhere in the picture. There was other stuff happening. And so it threw me in a quandary a little bit until I, you know, I, I, after working in the field, and, and then you know, you're in this for a while, and I started to learn, whoa, there are real answers of how people get well. And I started learning these processes clinically that healed depression and anxiety and eating disorders. 
and PTSD and trauma and all this stuff. But it wasn't what I'd heard as the Christian answers. It wasn't, you know, those Christian models. And so then what I did was I just went back and I read the Bible again, but this time with new eyes. Because I had walked through a lot of this stuff with people. And here's what I found. All of the things that heal people, that science and professional evidence-based psychological treatments, all of the dynamics and the pieces of those were staring at me in the scriptures. I mean, I couldn't believe it. The principles and the practices that science has validated are there in the word of God. Whether you're talking about psychodynamic issues or resolving your past or changing your thinking and transforming your mind or mindfulness or addiction treatment, the Bible speaks to all of it. And that's why God says his word is a lamp unto our feet. Is there anything else, Dr. Cloud, that you want our church family to know on this topic? I'm sure you could, you could, you could talk for days and... Uh, and, and we would appreciate it. But if you have one or, one or two more thoughts uh, before we wrap this up. A long time ago, I looked at, at you know, if you use the 80-20 rule, like if, you know, 80% of the problems could be solved by just doing, you know, 20% of the, the, these activities, right? I, I did that in a kind of a factor analysis of, of all the mental health issues that are, you know, not the biological stuff, but the, the dynamic stuff. The, you know the, the the issues that cause a lot of these these problems, and I looked at them, and when you when you begin to 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 look at all the issues that we address, there's basically there's there's kind of four big buckets they fall in, and what was amazing to me is these are four big themes of the scriptures, and so I would want people to know look. Whatever else you do, go work on these four issues in your life. Number one, connection versus isolation. You have got to be rooted and grounded and connected in some deep, sustaining, vulnerable relationships. Harvard just did a 75-year study on what makes people thrive successful and well, and it is the quality of their most, their smallest little circle of friends and relationships. 75 years of data, okay? Number one, whether it's in business or mental health or anything else, it's your relationships. Number one, what does the Bible say? It says the whole thing is about love. All of life is about love. All of the fall was about the connection with God and relationship in each other that we got separated from. So overcome the separation in your life and get connected. Number two, in your connections, make sure that you are free. Galatians 5.1 says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So a lot of people have relationships, they have connections, but they're not free in those relationships. They feel manipulated, they feel controlled, they feel like somebody else has in charge of their life, they feel like people can step over the fence and do things to them that they can't stop. So that's what we call boundaries. Having good boundaries where you're free to say, no, I don't like that, no, I don't want to do that, no, you can't hurt me like that. And where we have good boundaries and limits. Number three, what do we do with the imperfect stuff? Life is about things ought to be this way, but we find ourselves in two big areas. We have pain and shame. We have pain of things that have happened to us, broken relationships. You know, we might have been abused. We might have lost somebody through a debt. There's horrible things that happen that have to be processed. And the Bible says 
that we need to grieve and we need to help each other and we need to get this stuff out and we need to hold each other and heal the brokenhearted with the pain. And then on the shame stuff, the failures, the sins, we need to confess it. And as we do, it moves from one side of the brain to the other and it gets washed out and left behind us. And so we deal with the imperfection. And then the fourth area is you were born a little child in a big person's world and you're supposed to grow up and see other people equal and not feel inferior to anybody. God is the only one you look up to. So become an adult. Find your gifts. Find your talents. Find your own opinions. And don't be this people pleaser. It causes a lot of anxiety, depression, judgment, all this kind of stuff. Jesus says you're all brothers. And sometimes we haven't grown up. And we're letting people run around parenting us by telling us what we should be and should do. And we're trying to please them. That's a big problem. So those four areas... Scriptures talk about this all the time. I wrote about it in a book called Changes That Heal. And I'd say go work on those four areas and you will feel better. That is rich wisdom that you shared with us today. I've taken pages of notes, uh, Dr. Cloud. Thank you again for taking the time to share with our church family. We are better together and we're on the journey to growing healthy mentally and helping other people find that health. So thank you again. Wow. Wasn't that incredible? I love that when he went to search for answers of how to help people clinically, they were the same practices and principles that we see in God's word, that we were created for connection, not isolation, and that we can have freedom from the pain of our past and the shame of the mistakes that we've made, and that we can move forward in strength, and then we can grow and mature and equip ourselves to help others find their way. This is part of our purpose. I love that, and we see this, we see this, these principles played out all throughout scripture. So in the remaining time that we have together, I just want to go back to a story that, um, that, God, that, that Todd and God, that Todd and God um, actually shared with us in week one of this series, and, and it's the story of Elijah. And if Elijah's story was played out on a movie on Netflix, right, if you're watching Elijah's movie, it would be epic and it would be heroic. In the opening scene of Elijah's movie, you would see that he boldly and courageously stood up against King Ahab and the evil Queen Jezebel, and he told them that because you have turned the heart of an entire nation to pagan idol worship and turned your back on God, there's going to be a three-year drought until you get it right. And there was a three-year drought. And then you fast forward and in the next scene, you see that, that God divinely protected Elijah and that he brought, miraculously brought birds to feed him every single day. You fast forward a little bit more and you see that he's the first person in all of scripture that raised someone from the dead. And then in the next scene, you see one of the most epic scenes of all time throughout scripture. It was miraculous. It was amazing. It was when Elijah calls down fire from heaven to consume a soaking wet sacrifice in front of all the prophets of Baal and the people of Israel and to prove once and for all that God is the one true God and it actually turned a nation's eyes back to God just because he called down fire from heaven. And then The rain came because Elijah prayed for it. And so you would think that would be the end of his movie, which would have been a great place to end, but it was kind of like one of those 90s movies where they went like two and a half hours and you think that it should end, but it just keeps going. Well, in the next scene of this movie is where Todd preached from a couple of weeks ago. 
And this is the scene where, where right after this amazing, miraculous miracle, Elijah finds himself in a desperate place because the queen, is a, queen Jezebel sends a message that she is going to kill Elijah. Now, obviously, she could have sent an assassin, but she wanted to intimidate him and, may, and, and render him powerless. And so she sends this message, and so he's afraid, and you would think that he could look back on all those victories and go, well, that's nothing for my God. But because he was exhausted, he was alone, and he was disappointed, he was in a mental and physical cave. And this is where we pick up the story. See, what I wanna say first, though, is that I am so glad that God left this part of Elijah's story in the script. Because I really believe that, that it sends a message to us, a message that someone needs to hear today. That the scene that you are in, the darkness you are in, the cave that you are in, it is just one scene of your movie. See, Todd pressed pause a couple weeks ago. Elijah's still in the cave. I have come to deliver Elijah out of the cave today. But you are in a scene right now. And just because it's pressed pause does not mean that there is not more to come. God has more for your story. He has more in front of you. And the thing is, is that it, Elijah, he had to take some steps to get out of the cave. But before he could take those steps, there were some things that God wanted to speak to him so that it would give him the courage and the confidence to come out of the cave. And we pick up the story in 1 Kings 19, and it says that Elijah traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached the mountain of God. And there he went in that cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing in this cave? And Elijah begins to pour out his heart about how afraid he is and how disappointed he is and how alone he feels. And then the Lord says to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains and tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire came a gentle whisper. Another version says a still, small voice. And the Lord was in the still, small voice. See, what I find is interesting is that in just a chapter before, God did speak to Elijah through a fire. And he does all throughout scripture. He speaks through rushing mighty winds and earthquakes and, and, and fire when he wants to show his power to the masses, right? But in this, in this, in this instance where, where Elijah was in the cave, he knew, he already knew God was strong. He needed to, knew, he needed to know that God was close, he needed to know that God was close and that, that, that he needed to know the power of God's presence. And see, what I have found in my own faith journey is that I love the supernatural work. I love it when, when there's breakthrough and when there's miracles. We love and we celebrate those times. But I started thinking about, you know, what if when Jefferson was a small child, if the only time Todd spoke to him was in this really loud voice to let him know how powerful he was. And he went around the house breaking things and calling down fire just to prove his strength. Yeah, Jefferson needed to know that, that his dad was strong. But most of the time, most of the time as children, we just need to know that our father is near and he's gonna be there when we need him the most. And just like any good father, most of the time, 
God's chosen method of communication to us is through the whisper. It's through the whisper. And think about it for a minute. This is so brilliant because we only whisper to people that we have a relationship with. And a whisper, it causes us to have to come close, right? When you, to hear a whisper, you have to tune out all the noise of the news of the day, the, the voices that are trying to get our attention, and all of social media, and you have to lean in. If you want to hear the whisper, you have to get close to the whisperer. And the only place that you can experience the whisper of God is in his presence. See, there's a power that you can experience in his presence that you will not experience any place else. You know, we've said over these last few weeks, yes, there are some practical weapons that we need. We need a good diet, nutrition, and exercise. God has God's given us natural weapons like, like counseling and medication. Those are all important. But please hear me. There is no replacement for the power that you will receive when you are in the presence of God. There is no replacement because in that place is where he wants to speak to you about all of it. Because remember, he is not just a God that is spiritual, he is practical. See, this is what I want you to hear, that, that when you spend time in his presence and when you hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit, when you hear what he wants to say to you, and what he wants to tell you about you, you will begin to see your problems, your circumstances through the lens of a good, good father. That is the power of the whisper. And we see the power of the whisper in, in this next verse when, when God speaks to him in this small voice, in the still voice, he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? How many of you know that whenever God asks us a question, that he already knows the answer, right? He knows the answer, but he asks us anyway, because this question becomes an invitation to enter into his presence. It becomes an invitation to an honest conversation. See, Elijah turns and he says to, to God, and this is, this is the power, I want you to hear this, this is the power of honest prayer. Elijah begins to spill his heart out to God. He says, I've been very zealous for you, the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And what he's saying is, is that I have done my best, and it wasn't good enough, and I'm alone, and I think I'm gonna die. And this is the place that he was in. He was honest, he was having this real conversation. And that's what prayer is. It's just a conversation about our problems to the one who can do something about it. See, when it, what I want you to hear is when it comes to your mental health and this battle that we're fighting in our mind, that prayer, it not only changes and moves the heart of God, but it actually changes the chemistry in our brains. I want you to see this quote. This is from Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's a neuropsychologist who specializes in the field of, of the mind, body, and spirit. And she said this. She said, it has been found that 12 minutes of focused prayer over an eight-week period of time can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. I mean, that is amazing. Think about it. Prayer changes our brains 
so much that doctors and scientists can actually see the difference. It actually gives a new meaning to this verse, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Prayer will renew our mind. Prayer is powerful. But I've got some good news and some bad news about renewing our minds, transforming our thoughts, overcoming our addictions. Did you notice all of those words start with, end with I-N-G? It's ongoing. I've got some good news and some bad news. The bad news is, is that very rarely do we overcome depression or addiction or toxic thinking instantaneously. More often than not, much more often, it's a process because in that process, we're actually building spiritual and mental muscle mass that is gonna carry us through not only this battle, but the battles to come. But this is the good news, that when we consistently place ourselves in the presence of the Almighty God and we lean in to his whisper, we will experience the power of the process. We will experience the power that is released in the process, in the presence of God. And this is where it becomes pretty personal for me. Because in 2020, like many of you, I found myself in a place I never thought I'd be. With all the pressure of the pandemic and, and the pressures of leadership, and it was just a hard season for all of us. And I don't even pretend that I went through some of the struggles that some of you went through. But it was real. And I had never experienced crippling anxiety, so I didn't even know what I was going through because it crept up on me so slowly and so sneakily. And I, I just thought that getting one or two hours a night of sleep was gonna be enough. I thought that, that when I couldn't think clearly the next day to make just simple decisions that, that this was just kind of you know, how it was gonna be in this season. And my temper was short and I was starting to isolate relationally. And I realized, I realized that, that the thoughts I was having, those racing thoughts in the middle of the night, they, they were becoming my reality. And when you think about the fact that our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts, I was in trouble. I was in trouble. My, my irrational thoughts were holding me hostage and I needed a new battle strategy. And I needed to hear God's voice, but it seemed like when I needed to hear his voice the most, he was so far away. But what I want you to hear, church, is that God has a first language, and the Holy Spirit's first language is his word. It's his word, and he wanted to speak to me in his word. When I couldn't hear anything else, I could go back to his word. Joshua 1.8 says this, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. See, I used to think meditation was like sitting alone in a room and being really contemplative about scripture and really deep. But what I want you to hear is that meditation isn't just mystical, it's also practical. And I knew I needed a, a battle plan and so I began to, to get a plan. And I got this notebook, and this is a very precious notebook to me because my plan was that I was going to think about what I was thinking about and then think about whether or not God's thoughts were the same as my thoughts. And I began to write all of the whining and the complaining, all the things I was thinking about. And then I, I wrote it, and then I, would, I, I wrote out a declaration, and then I would speak it, but not just one time, over and over again, that I was gonna repeat it 
until I believed it. And I don't have time to go through all of them, but I just thought I'd share a few of them with you today because these are declarations that I say every single day. And the first one is this, just to set a priority, because what I realized was is that my anxiety was not the problem. My anxiety, it was, a, it, was, it was a warning, a check engine light. It was the warning light that was telling me something was wrong. There was something wrong with my thinking. There was something wrong with what I was believing. And I began to declare, this was my first one every day. Jesus, you are first in my life. I exist to serve you and glorify you. You are for me and you want me to flourish. I am disciplined and I order my life to grow closer to you. I have declarations for my family because let's face it, 2020 was hard on relationships, right? I needed a declaration, so this is where I started. I love my husband. I will honor him by the way I look at him, by the way I talk to him, by the way I talk about him. I will make him glad that he married me. I want you to hear something. Just so you know, this is not me every day, okay? But this is more me today than it was a year ago. See, declarations aren't about who I am, they're about who I'm becoming. The next one is this, that, that I was fighting for my joy. And I began to wonder if my best days were behind me. So I declared this, I choose happiness, but I do not resist pain. I will do the hard thing, take the high road, and press into uncomfortable situations because I know this will make me more like Jesus and produce a joy that will outlast today. Yeah. And then I had some emergency declarations because this one sat on my nightstand because I did not want to get out of bed every morning. Every morning I would say, I do not have what it takes to do what this day requires. And I feel like I failed a lot yesterday. And so this was right beside my nightstand. I would pick it up before I even got out of bed. This is what I would say. This day is God's gift to me. It will be full full of opportunity to add value to people, full of challenges that I am fully equipped to take on and gifted for, full of disruptions that I am graced to handle, and full of God's goodness at every single turn. And I have lots of declarations, lots of emergency declarations, because it was, it was a state of emergency. But what I want you to hear is that the key wasn't just in writing it and speaking it, it was in repeating it because the key was in the repetition because the more I said it, the more I believed it, the more it became automatic and my feelings began to follow my declarations. And that's the power of the declaration, that your feelings begin to follow the declaration. This is how God speaks to me every day. I wish I could say that I'm so spiritual that I hear you know, the Holy Spirit every single day audibly, but I don't. But his word says that we will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And over time, I found freedom from the toxic thoughts and the negative thinking and the racing thoughts. I sleep like a baby now because I declare these in the morning and at night. And I want you to know that he wants to speak to you every single day. There's so much that he wants to say to you. And we see like he speaks a little bit more to Elijah in this conversation. He goes on to say to Elijah, this is what happens when you, when you lean in to the whisper. He says, go, go back the way you came to the desert of Damascus. This was just the place where, where Elijah had made a commitment to God in the first place. And God begins to speak to him about what he's gonna do there. He's gonna anoint some kings. He's gonna anoint Elisha, who's gonna be his legacy. And what he was saying to Elijah was, go back to where you came. I've got a new assignment for you. You are not 
finished. Your best days are not behind you. Your best days are ahead of you. And when God, when God speaks to you, when, when, he, when you're in his presence, he wants to speak to you about your purpose. And I wish I had time to land here and camp here for a while because I want you to hear something that God has created you on purpose for a purpose. His word says that that you are a masterpiece created for good works. And there is so much research behind what it means to step into your purpose and the health that comes with that. It's not that complicated. The happiest people I know are the people that I was with Friday night at Infuse that are, that are leading groups in children's ministry and student ministries that are creating a space and a place where people can find God. It's, it's seeing a need and filling it. But you're never gonna find your purpose disconnected from God's people. You're never, you'll never find your purpose because our purpose, this is what, what God was saying to him, that your purpose is connected to being a part of a people. And I think it's really interesting, profound, and important that the very last thing that God says to Elijah, it's almost like a by the way. By the way, Elijah, there's actually 7,000 people that, that did not bow to the prophets of Baal. So even though you are lonely, you are not alone. And that's a word for someone today. Even though you may be lonely, you are not alone. The epidemic of loneliness is a curable condition. And I don't want you to miss out on the strengthening that comes when we are part of a people, when we are part of God's people. There's a strengthening that comes with that. Our purpose is found in connection with other people. We've said it every single week in one way or another, but what I want you to hear, like Ryan said last week, you need to share your struggle with someone that, that sharing your struggle is not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of wisdom. And there are people that, that there are magic eye mentors that are gonna help you through. See, guys, we don't want you to miss one thing God has for you. I don't want you to miss the, the strength of God's people. And I don't want you to miss out on the power, the perspective, the strength that comes when you're in God's presence. And so I only have one challenge for you this week. And that challenge is, is that you need to make a plan for God's presence. I had to get a plan, I had to get a battle plan to be in God's presence. You need to set a time and a, a day on your calendar. And this is really important. God moves in this atmosphere and you need to set a time. This needs to be a priority. But every day, get a plan. Make sure you set it on your calendar. If it wasn't on my calendar, I don't know if it would happen. Make it easy. I set everything out the night before. So the first thing when I do in the morning after I, my emergency declaration, my cup of coffee, my, I study the word, worship, and pray. And for several weeks, studying the word meant that I was writing out those declarations. And we have it, um, we have resources for you. If you just text the word mind to 441441, every one of my declarations is tied to scripture. And there's scriptures on there that you can write your own declarations. You gotta get a plan. It takes work to hear the whisper. And I don't want you to miss the power of the whisper. Some of you, God wants to tell you that, like Elijah, you are not alone. Your best days are not behind you. You are not a hostage to the addiction that you're suffering from. You are not a mistake, even though you might have made some mistakes, and that he wants to make sense of the pain of your past. And I just believe that God wants to speak to your heart today. So God, Holy Spirit, we are here in your presence, 
God, we are leaning in to your whisper. Would you speak to us today? For we're ready to hear what you have to say. Thank you again for spending time with us today. If you're looking to take a step in discovering the more that God has in store for you, just text the word MORE to 441-441 and select the option that applies to you. And if you enjoyed this message, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Special thanks to all of you who generously give to all that God is calling us to do together. It's because of you that everything we do is possible. We'll see you right back here for next week's message.